0: We're teaching a series that we've entitled Keys of the Kingdom of Heaven and we're using two main scriptures for that Matthew chapter 16 and Matthew chapter 6 In Matthew chapter 16 beginning in verse 13 it says When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi He asked His disciples saying Who do men say that I the Son of Man am? And they said Some say that you are John the Baptist who was beheaded a couple of years before some say you're Elijah and others Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And he said unto them, but whom say you that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my father, which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter. And upon this rock, and the rock he's talking about is the knowledge that he's the Christ." upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I like another translation on that. It says the gates of hell shall not be able to hold out against it. The picture is the church is on the move and Satan is on the defense. Not the other way around. Verse 19. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Notice this is a part of the building of the church. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Notice he said that he's giving us the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And those keys uh, indicate or keys are of authority. We have the privilege and the right to bind or prohibit here on the earth and heaven will back us up. We have the privilege and the right to loose or allow things here on the earth and heaven backs us up. But notice that it starts here on the earth. Now, in Matthew chapter 6, our other text scripture, Jesus is giving his disciples what is known in the church world as the Lord's Prayer, teaching them to pray. Notice verse 10. It's really not the Lord's Prayer. It's really the disciples' prayer. And it's not a New Testament prayer. Jesus specifically said that after the resurrection, the days following the resurrection or the church age, prayer was to be directed to the Father in his name. Well, the Lord's Prayer doesn't connect, doesn't contain the name of Jesus, so it can't be a New Testament prayer. Now, it's got some great principles for us to follow and to learn from. Verse 10 is the one I want you to see is a part of the Lord's Prayer. Jesus taught them to pray, Thy kingdom come, which means the kingdom of God had not yet come at that time. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Now, is there anybody that would suppose that Jesus is teaching the disciples to pray something that's contrary to the will of God Now that would be impossible Jesus did everything Jesus did was in line with the will of God so notice what is God's will it is God's will for his will to be done here on the earth just like it is in heaven What's, what are things like in heaven well there's nothing that can harm anybody there's no sickness or disease it's a perfect environment it's an environment where there is no enemy to, to deal with There is no influence or power of the enemy. They can rob you or take from you anything that God has provided. That's God's will for you here on the earth. Now when will it be that way? Jesus gives you the answer. He's telling the disciples to pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, or so that thy will can be on the earth just like it is in heaven. He's saying when the kingdom of God comes... It is intended and designed to provide for mankind for the will of God to be done in their lives here on the earth just like it is in heaven. Now I want you to turn with me over to John chapter 3. There's a lot of things that we can learn from and see from the scripture about the, the ministry of Jesus and the things that he did. But I want you to notice in John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, tells us the story of somebody coming to Jesus, a man named Nicodemus. Well, we'll just start reading in verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, master, or teacher, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water, that means natural birth, and of the spirit, meaning the new birth, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now notice the, the, the uh, comparison between verses 3 and 5. He said except a man be born again he cannot see the kingdom of God. Then he says except a man be born of water and of the spirit he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So what's Jesus saying? He's saying the new birth is the entrance into the kingdom of God. The new birth which had not happened during his time here on the earth obviously. Because it took him going to the cross and paying the price for mankind. Becoming the sacrifice for all of mankind. They could only see the kingdom of God. They could only hear the message that the kingdom of God was coming near to them. But for us, it's a totally different thing. In other words, Jesus is saying, in the time in which man can be born again, that's the fulfillment of the Lord's Prayer, or the part of the Lord's Prayer, verse 10 of Matthew 6 Thy kingdom come. Thank God it's come. To what end or for what purpose? Thy will be done on the earth just like it is in heaven. Now notice also with me Colossians chapter 1. I believe it's verse 13. It's talking about the work that Jesus did for us on the cross. It says that Jesus who has delivered us. Speaking of Jesus who has delivered us. From the power of darkness and hath translated us. Now please notice has is in the past tense in both cases. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and he has, past tense, already done something. And that is translated us or to place us into the kingdom of his dear son. Now what would the kingdom of his dear son, meaning the kingdom of Jesus, be if it's not the kingdom of God? It would have to be the kingdom of God, wouldn't it? So notice it's a different situation for us than it was for the disciples. It's a different situation for mankind today than it was when Jesus was here on the earth. When Jesus was ministering here on the earth, he kept saying, "The kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is coming close to you, but for us, the kingdom of God has come." Now I also remember what Jesus said in John in uh, Luke chapter 17. I believe it's verse 21. But it's Luke 17 anyway, when somebody demanded of him, the Pharisees demanded of him, when should the kingdom of God come? Jesus said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation, King James says. Literally, it means without outward show or appearance. It said, the kingdom of God is within you. So that means that the new birth, the kingdom of God comes to dwell within us. Or maybe a better way to say that is we become a part of the kingdom of God. Now turn back with me to Matthew chapter 4 because having that information, I want you to see some things that the Bible says about the kingdom of God regarding Jesus' ministry and how he got some of the results that he got and what results we should expect as being a part of or translated into the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 4 Notice in, uh, I don't want to read the whole thing. The first part of the chapter talks about Jesus uh, having been baptized by John in the Jordan River. He goes into the wilderness. He's fasting for 40 days, uh, uh, preparing for his ministry here on the earth. And then the devil comes and it tells us about the temptation of the devil. Beginning in verse 12, it says Jesus begins his ministry. When he heard that John was cast into the prison, he departed into Galilee. And he came to certain places to fulfill the scripture. And in verse 17 it says, From that time Jesus began to preach. So I want you to notice that this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Notice what started Jesus' ministry. After he was anointed of the Holy Ghost, baptized by John in the Jordan River, the Holy Ghost came and descended on him in bodily shape like a dove, the Bible says. Notice it tells us the very next thing that Jesus did when he began his ministry. He began to preach, verse 17, and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What I want you to see is Jesus started his ministry preaching about the kingdom of heaven. He's preaching the kingdom of heaven. Now, what is he defined, already defined from uh, the scripture that we saw in Matthew chapter 6? What has he defined the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven to be? He's defined that to be the will of God being done on the earth just like it is in heaven. Look with me over to Luke chapter 4. What does that preaching of the kingdom of heaven look like? Well, the Holy Ghost gave us a record. Beginning in verse 16, it says, And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom... He went into the Sabbath day, into the synagogue, excuse me, on the Sabbath day, and stood up for to read. And was, there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Jesus searched out these scriptures. He's choosing these scriptures, what we know of as Isaiah 61, as his text for his preaching. Now, what do we already know that he began his preaching, or began his ministry preaching about? The kingdom of heaven. Now, as far as our subject matter is concerned for this series, the, the the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are interchangeable terms. There are times when they mean different things, but none of the scriptures that we're going to look at are any of those exceptions. Most of the time, he's talking about the same thing, and that is the kingdom where God's power rules and reigns to bring His will about here on the earth. So, notice what he did. He chose scriptures specific scriptures as the text for preaching about the kingdom of heaven we found the place where it was written the spirit of the lord is upon me because he has anointed me well that fits jesus he's just been anointed by the holy ghost he's anointed to do what to preach the gospel to the poor now the word preach means to proclaim The word "preach" doesn't mean to do something other than to tell. And notice what he says that he's anointed to do. He's anointed to tell the poor about the good news. Now, folks, what is good news to the poor? You ever faced a debt or a financial crisis that was too big for you to handle? What would you have considered to be good news? The debt is paid. The good news to the poor is you don't have to be poor anymore. Now, if Jesus is preaching the good news to the poor, and if he's anointed by God to preach the good news to the poor, then what does that mean? That means God doesn't want poor people to stay poor. Are you out there? Everything about this and everything that Jesus preaches concerning the kingdom of God has to go back to the the underlying principle... Thy will be done on the earth even as it is in heaven. So the good news to the poor is that God doesn't want you to be poor anymore. Notice what else he's anointed to do. And folks, please understand, he's anointed or empowered by God to tell them that. Well, part of me thinks we just need to stick here for a while because there's an anointing to tell people that are poor. God doesn't want you poor. And even to go further than that. The power of God is available. So that you don't have to stay poor. Or to lift you out of your poverty. That's what Jesus was anointed to preach. To proclaim. To tell. To declare. What else is he anointed to do? He has sent me. To heal the brokenhearted. Now we think of broken hearted as being hurt feelings. This does not mean Jesus is sent to heal people whose feelings are hurt. Broken hearted means. These are two words. Broken means crushed. Hearted refers to the spirit. It refers to your overall life. In other words it's the same thing that Psalms 103 verse 4 says. That one of the benefits of the Lord. Bless the Lord O my soul. And all that is within me and and, uh, forget not all of his benefits, the scripture says. One of those benefits is he redeems your life from destruction. That's what this is saying. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Now this includes healing for the physical body. But it includes redemption from any and everything that the devil has tried to destroy your life with too. It's not just talking about physical healing. Even though it would include that. And notice Jesus said he sent to heal. Now that means to do something. To preach means to declare something. To proclaim it. He sent me to heal means to do something. It means the power of God in action. He sent me to preach deliverance. I'm sorry. He sent me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the broken hearted. In other words to fix. To cure Whatever area of destruction the devil has brought into your life. Now what does that mean? It means the will of God. It's the will of God for you. To not endure or to continue in. Whatever destruction the enemy has brought into your life. It's the will of God for your life to be here now on the earth. Just like it will be. In heaven. I've made this statement before but I think it bears repetition. Repetition. So many times the church looks at heaven as a means of escape. But folks, the means of escape was salvation. Our lives are supposed to be lived here on the earth as a means of or a demonstration of the escape from Satan's power over us. And the bondage of sin and sickness and destruction. But too many times it seems the church is looking for heaven to be a place where everything will be easy and everything will be better and it'll all be over by the time we get there. But Jesus said it's over now. Thank you for your enthusiastic response. <laughs> I'm glad you're excited about that. Next thing he says uh, after he sent me to heal the brokenhearted, he sent or, uh, or anointed, I should say, to preach deliverance to the captives. Notice what brings deliverance to the captives. It's the will of God for those that are being held captive by any and every work of the devil to be free. Notice what brings that deliverance. The preaching. The proclamation. The declaration of the will of God for you to be free. Jesus didn't say, I've been anointed to deliver the captives. He said, I'm anointed to preach deliverance to the captives. To preach deliverance to the captives. To proclaim. Folks, there's an indication here that when you come to understand what God's will is for you, then God's will for you can be accomplished. Can and will be accomplished in you. And in your life. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me. To preach deliverance to the captives, now notice the word and, and controls the subject. In other words, it should read or could read to preach deliverance to the captives and to preach recovering of sight to the blind. Notice how the recovering of sight comes to the blind. Through the proclaiming of God's plan, God's will, God's purpose, as a part of His kingdom being made manifest here on the earth. Through the new birth, the preaching of recovering of sight to the blind brings sight. Now I know this, uh, well, maybe I, let me say it this way. I don't know of any simpler thing that I could tell you. And I think a lot of times people get tripped up by the simplicity of things. Jesus is saying the answer for blindness is to preach recovering of sight to the blind. In other words, it's the preaching of the word that reveals God's will. That brings God's will to bear in your life. Can you see that? Next thing he says he's anointed to do. Is to set at liberty them that are bruised. The word bruised means crushed. Now, I, I see a lot of overlap in these verses. Or in these, these uh, different parts of the things that he's anointed to do. And it's almost like there's such an overlap. That God wants to make sure that everybody's included. Wouldn't that be like him? To set at liberty them that are bruised. That's a lot like healing the brokenhearted, Those whose lives have been crushed. Those whose lives have been destroyed by the works of the devil. He said, I've come to set at liberty them that are bruised. Those that have been crushed. Those that have been held in bondage. Those lives that have been destroyed. I've come to set at liberty them that are bruised. Then the next thing in the next verse he says that he's anointed to do. Is to preach. Here again it's preaching proclamation. Proclamation. To preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, folks, the acceptable year of the Lord is the year of Jubilee. Every Jewish person knew that. Every person under the sound of Jesus' voice, and every Jewish person that reads these scriptures knows the acceptable year of the Lord has reference to the year of Jubilee. Now, if you don't know much about the Jubilee, it basically comes down to this it's a giant reset button, all debts are forgiven. All properties are restored to their original inheritance. In other words, it's the, it's the greatest work that one man could provide for another man to bring things back into its original order. A man doesn't have the, have the power to heal another man, so he can't include that. But the year of Jubilee is the ultimate Reset. Whatever has been lost is restored. Whatever is owed is forgiven. It's the law. It's what Jesus is anointed to preach. In other words, he's saying that I've been anointed by the Holy Ghost. There's a supernatural power of God available to tell you that restoration is yours. That restoration is yours. Now, he's in his own hometown of Nazareth where he's preaching these things and they don't receive it. They think they know him naturally. They saw him grow up there and so forth. And so they don't accept what he has to say. So he's not able to do anything of great importance there in his own hometown. But notice it says, uh, a little bit further down, he went down to Capernaum, verse 31. And then he... Went out of the synagogue and healed certain people. But notice it says uh, in verse 43. He said unto them, I must preach the kingdom. The people wanted him to stay there. I'd be part of that crowd. Jesus, don't leave our town. Stay here. But Jesus answered and said unto them, I must preach the kingdom of God. I must preach the kingdom of God. Well, we have to understand then. We have to conclude that the preaching that he did in the earlier part of the chapter in Nazareth that we just read that he was anointed by the Holy Ghost to do has to be considered to be preaching the kingdom of God. So he says, I must go, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also for therefore am I sent. In other words, Jesus is saying, I am sent to preach the kingdom of God everywhere that I go, just like I was preaching the kingdom of God in Nazareth. And again, we see that the preaching of the kingdom of God was the declaration, the proclaiming that God wants His will to be done here on the earth just like it is in heaven. Now, folks, that's true for you. That's true in your life. And any part of your life that doesn't measure up to how the Bible tells us it will be in heaven can and should be adjusted, changed, altered. To fit God's will for you in heaven. Literally. Matthew chapter 16 verse 19. Where it says. And I will give unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Literally what that means is this. Whatever has been bound in heaven. You have the right and the authority to bind here on the earth. Whatever has been loosed in heaven, you have the right and the ability to, buy, to loose here on the earth. It's saying heaven has set the boundaries. You can establish those same boundaries for yourself on the earth. Now, you don't have to. I hear a lot of people loosen the power of the devil in their lives. And you have a right to do that. Because the Bible says whatever you bind on earth or whatever you lose on the earth that's the way it's going to be. Now look with me over to Matthew chapter I'm sorry uh, Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4 establishes some kingdom principles and that when Jesus said I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven he's literally saying I'll make you masters. I'll make you masters based on the knowledge that Jesus is the Christ and the sacrifice that he made for mankind. He said that's the the basis or the foundation for making you a master of the principles that govern the kingdom of God. You can be a master of the principles that govern God's will being done in your life here on the earth just like it's done in heaven. And nobody's worried about the, the devil stopping the will of God from working in heaven, are they? Nobody would imagine or assume that the devil has the power to stop the will of God from occurring in heaven, would we? Well, then if, the will of, if it's the will of God for his will to be done here on the earth in your life now, just like it is in heaven, why should we give the devil any more power or influence or part of our thought life to be able to stop the will of God here on the earth? There's only one difference between heaven and earth, and that is the devil is here on the earth. But according to what the Bible is telling us, according to what Jesus preached and proclaimed, the devil doesn't have any more right or power to stop God's will from being here on the earth in your life, just like it is and will be in heaven. I'm doing a lot better preaching than you are doing saying amen. (laughs) That has to be true, does it not? Now Mark chapter 4. Jesus tells the parable of the sower sowing the word. After everybody is gone, the crowd has gone, the disciples come to him and said, we want to know what this means. Verse 11, and Jesus answered them and said, unto you it is given to know the mystery. Most translations say secret. Unto you it is given to know the secret of the kingdom of God. Unto you, the followers of Jesus, the ones that stuck with him because they believed that he was the Christ. Unto you, it's given to know the mysteries or the secrets of the kingdom of God. Well, that sounds a lot like Matthew 16. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and you'll be masters over those principles that govern it. And you'll have authority to bind and loose here on the earth. Jesus said unto you it's it's known. It's given to to know the secrets. Of the kingdom of heaven. Now what are those secrets. Or the secret that he mentions here. He's talking about a principle. That governs God's will being done in your life. He says there's a secret to knowing how to get God's will how to manifest God's will in your life here on the earth just like it is in heaven. That's what the kingdom of God means, isn't it? That's what Jesus said. So Jesus begins to explain the parable. Verse 14 He said, the sower sows the word And these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. And these are they likewise which were sown on stony ground. Who when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness. And have no root or literally no moisture in themselves. The ground has no moisture. And so endure but for a time afterward, when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake. Immediately they are offended. And these are they which are sown among thorns. Such as hear the word. And the cares of this world. And the deceitfulness of riches. And the lust of other things entering in. Choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. And these are they which are sown on good ground. Such as hear the word. And receive it. And bring forth fruit. Some thirtyfold. Some sixty. And some a hundred. Now folks very simply. Jesus is saying The secret. To the kingdom of God is this. And this is as simple as I know how to make it. The secret to the kingdom of God, the principle that governs the kingdom of God, the will of God being done in your life here on the earth, just like it is in heaven, is just simply this. Speak the word. Speak the word. Speak the word. Speak the word when there's an opportunity to be distracted. Speak the word when you're in trouble. Speak the word when people tell you that faith stuff doesn't work. Speak the word when you're busy with other things. Speak the word when you have to make a living. Speak the word when anything and everything else comes up. Speak the word. Now, if you look at the things Jesus said, the affliction arises, that's trouble. That's what causes some people to stop speaking the word. He says persecution arises for the word's sake. That's people telling you you're nuts for trying to confess something that you can see isn't the case. That's a distraction that gets some people to give up. Then when he talks about the the thorny ground, he talks about the cares of this world. Well, we've all got things that we've got to attend to. We've all got responsibilities. But Jesus is very simply saying, don't let those responsibilities, don't let those other things that you have to take care of keep you from speaking the word. Don't get distracted by the things of this world, the cares of this world, to such a degree that you stop speaking the word. Well, What about the deceitfulness of riches? Some people pursue money instead of the things of God. Remember, Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and all these things shall be added to you. All these things that he's talking about in Matthew 6:33, where he says that are financial things. He says the blessings of God will overtake you if you'll seek first the kingdom of God. Well, some people get it out of order. Some people start chasing the money or the prosperity, the well-being, whatever it is, whatever you want to call it, whatever you want to define it as. And it keeps them from speaking the word. And folks there's always going to be some gimmick. Some scheme. Some new thing that you should try. According to the advertising at least. But Jesus is very simply saying. The ground that produces doesn't let that distract them. They keep speaking the word. Finally he says the lust of other things causes some people to give up. Giving up, meaning giving up on speaking the word, some people begin to desire other things more than they desire the word and this is a this is a tough part for me at least as a pastor, because you see so many people that fail to receive, and then they come up with these these questions about well, we don't know why this happened, we don't know why God let this happen, we don't know why God allowed this, we don't know this, that and the other, and they enter into this big confusion thing about why things happened. And I've yet to find somebody that really put the Word of God first that comes in to that place. I've been questioned hundreds of times about why not everybody gets healed. Well, the Bible says God sent His Word and healed people. And most of the Christians that I know of particularly the ones that have the questions, are trying to get healed any and every way other than the word. And that's tough. Because what do you do? You can't look somebody in the face and say, well, your problem is you didn't put the word first. Well, I'm just not that cold. That may be a surprise to you. (laughs) So you try to say it in a nice way. You try to talk about the goodness of God and God's willingness and to, to help and bless and heal people. But in the final analysis, it, it really comes down to one thing. And that is the ground that produces are the ones that speak the word no matter what. And that's the secret that governs the kingdom of God Or we could say it this way, that governs the will of God being done here in your life on the earth, just like it is in heaven. That's the secret, to speak the word no matter what. Now, a lot of people speak the word because they're trying it out. The word does not work by trying. Or as Yoda says, try not, do. (laughs) I guess I dated myself with that one though. But a lot of people are trying the word. And if it doesn't work over a certain period of time that they think is enough time for it to work, then they quit. Well, folks, that's what Jesus is saying is the secret. The secret is don't quit. The secret is to speak the word no matter what. Let me ask you a question. How long was Jonah in the, the belly of the fish? Nope. That's not the answer. What you said is true, but the answer is longer than he wanted to be. <laughs> now, you may be looking at your situation and saying, man, if my situation, if my affliction was just three days, I'd have it made. But Jonah didn't like any one of those three days. And any more than you like, however long it's been for you, or I like, however long it's been for me. It always takes longer than we think it should or that we want it to. Always. So you might as well just gear up. Put your big boy pants on. And realize that the secret is don't quit. Now notice what Jesus said also. He didn't stop there. He kept talking about the kingdom of God. Notice some other things that he said. He said in verse 24, take heed what you hear. Hearing has a lot to do with whether or not you're going to give up. Take heed what you hear. With what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you. And unto you that hear shall more be given. For he that hath to him shall be given. And he that hath not from him shall be taken even that which he has. In other words, he's talking about your attention to the word. He's saying the attention you give to the word of God will determine your results. Which is the summary of the whole parable. The good ground doesn't give up. The good ground attends to the word by continuing to speak it and water it. The good ground doesn't let the cares of this world distract him from speaking. And speaking what God says. The good ground doesn't let riches, the deceitfulness of riches, distract him or keep him from speaking the word. The good ground doesn't allow any of the other cares of this world or desires for other things. Stop him from speaking the word of God. Now what determines whether or not you should speak the word of God? Well, ultimately it comes down to, in the final analysis, it comes down to your will. But quite simply, you say what you hear. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. What you hear the most is what you'll speak. So if you give attention to the word and take heed what you hear. And make sure that you're hearing the word first and foremost. That means you're going to be ready. To speak the word in every situation. Jesus goes on and says some more things about the kingdom of God. Notice in verse 26, and he said, So is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast seed into the ground. Now remember, the sower sows the word. So when Jesus is talking about casting seed into the ground, he's talking about speaking the word. So is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast seed into the ground. Let's say it this way. Let's define what he means. The ground he's talking about is the hearts of the people. The seed is the word. So let's interchange those meanings. So is the kingdom of God. Where the will of God is done in your life here on the earth just like it is in heaven. So is the kingdom of God as if a man should speak the word into his own heart. And should sleep and rise night and day. Which means it's not going to be an instant result. And should sleep and rise night and day. And the seed, the word that he's spoken, should spring and grow up. He knoweth not how. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself. Now the earth he's talking about here is the heart of man. Remember the, spirit of, or the kingdom of God is within you, it's within your spirit. By virtue of the new birth. So he's saying spiritual things produce. Just like the earth brings forth fruit of itself. First the blade then the ear. And after that the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth. Immediately he puts in the sickle. Because the harvest is come. Now the harvest he's talking about. Is the result of the word that you're speaking. You see that don't you. Now let me ask you a question. What does the devil come to to, and use against you to keep you from speaking the word? He tries to make you think the word's not going to work because of you. You're unworthy. You've messed up. You've sinned. You've done something wrong. Here's the question Does any seed that you plant in the ground, I'm talking about corn, tomatoes, whatever, whatever you plant in the ground, does any seed qualify you before it decides to grow? Do you have to prove your worth at the store when you buy the seed? Oh, I'm sorry. You can't buy corn. You're not good enough for that. (laughs) Seed is seed. Seed produces for anybody on an equal level, assuming it's planted in equal ground. But the devil doesn't talk to you about that. He talks to you about you. He talks to you about why it won't work for you. And then he'll challenge the word. He'll challenge you as to whether or not you really think that this is going to work. Confessing abundance when your bank book says zero and less. So notice what he does. He questions the value or the worth of the sower. And he questions the value or the the potency, the power of the seed. Now the seed is from God. Can God's word, and remember we're sowing the word by speaking it into our hearts. Can the word ever be impotent? if it came from God I don't see how that's possible and since the, the sower doesn't have anything to do with the growth of the seed his only job is to plant it by speaking it into his heart then why should either one of those attacks of the enemy hinder us when we know the secret to the kingdom and see folks that's the key the key is to know the secret And the secret is, don't give up no matter what. And Jesus is very simply saying, just like the earth produces natural crops, no matter what they are, no matter what you plant, he's saying the kingdom of God will produce God's will in your life here on the earth, just like it is in heaven, no matter what. You don't even have to know how it works. So just go to sleep every night speaking the word, Wake up every morning speaking the word. If you don't have a harvest by the end of the day, then just keep speaking the word when you go to bed again. If you don't have a harvest by the next morning, then keep speaking the word during the day. Keep speaking the word until the harvest comes. Because it will always come. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying it'll work every time. It'll work every time. The secret that will make you a master of the kingdom of God is keep speaking the word. I like what that uh, video said that uh, uh, David Romick said in Columbia at the youth conference. He said heaven is voice activated. Did you catch that? I love that. Heaven is voice activated. Heaven is voice activated. The power of God to change things in your life is voice activated. The kingdom of God, the will of God being done in your life here on the earth just like it is in heaven is voice activated. That's why the secret is to keep speaking the word. But how long, Pastor Mike? Till you get a harvest. Harvest. I don't want to take a chance on quitting the day before my harvest comes. Do you? I am convinced that there are people that give up just before the answer comes. David's greatest test was 24 hours before he became the king of Israel. He was discouraged, ready to give up, but he encouraged himself in the Lord and asked the Lord what to do, and the Lord told him, and the next day he became king. I wonder how many people would have given up right there. Well, I'm not going to be one of them. How about you? Here's the secret to the kingdom of God. Under you, it's given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Keep speaking the word. No matter what it looks like, no matter what it feels like, no matter what trouble comes, no matter what anybody else says, no matter whatever else is going on in your life, what you have to attend to, what you have to take care of, keep speaking the word. That's the principle that if you can master that, you'll be a master of the whole of the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the privilege that we have to walk by faith. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' precious name, that there is no power of the enemy that is great enough to stop your word from working for us so we speak healing we speak abundance we speak victory we speak deliverance with confidence father we declare that we are free from all the work of the enemy because we know that it's your will for it to be here on the earth in our life just like it is in heaven so Satan we serve notice on you We see that you have no power. To stop the word of God from working for us. Oh you may try to delay things. You may try to distract us. But we know the secret. The secret is to keep speaking the word no matter what. No matter what the devil says. No matter what the devil does. And Jesus said. Jesus who cannot lie. Said that it will always produce. So we thank you father for the end result. We thank you that we're healed. By the stripes of Jesus. And that you're raising us up. We thank you father. For prospering us. Literally. For us making our way prosperous by the word spoken. Thank you father that finances come to us. Father, you said to Israel on several occasions that you would give them houses that they didn't build, vineyards that they didn't plant, that you would bring spoils to them that they did not procure or or gain from their own works. Father, I thank you that you're the same God today. That you bring riches to us. You bring blessings to us. You bring even the spoils of this world that we didn't build or we didn't plan for. I thank you, Father, that your word is true, which says, The wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just. Father, I thank you for deliverance from every evil work. You said Lord that a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. I thank you that as we speak deliverance. As we speak freedom. We gain that freedom in every area of life. We refuse Father. In the authority and the name of Jesus. We refuse to allow Satan to hinder us or to stop us in any way whatsoever. Now Lord we know. But that's the way it'll be because that's the way it is in heaven. Lastly, Father, I ask you for one most important thing. And that is that you would open our eyes to see how good you are. Sometimes, Father, it seems like we're just going through the motions. We know what we should do and we're doing what we know is right. But for me at least, it seems that sometimes I'm working through a fog. I ask you, Lord, to remove that fog so that we see clearly. So that we can see beyond the veil of the flesh. To see your goodness and your mercy. So that we really understand just how much you love us. Seems like we ought to know that on our own, Lord. But you know the, the hindrances that the flesh brings. You know the difficulties that we have seen through our natural thinking and understanding. And our own experiences here on the earth. But Lord, we ask that you'd open our eyes so that we'd see clearly if it's your will for uh, things to be here on the earth just like they are in heaven, we know that in heaven we'll see clearly. So help us to see just as clearly here. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. God wants it to be here now on the earth in your life just like it is in heaven. That's what Jesus paid the price for. He didn't pay the price for you to be free spiritually but bound physically. Or free spiritually but bound financially. He didn't pay the price for all of mankind. For the devil to hold you in bondage or to resist you in any way whatsoever. I said resist. Resist. We can't pray and do away with the devil's presence, but we can refuse to be influenced by him here. We can refuse his power to stop the truth of the word from being a reality in our lives. Do you understand what I mean by that? That's the way God wants it to be. And that's the way the Bible says the church will be when Jesus comes back. Jesus is waiting for the last of his enemies to be put underfoot. Well, that doesn't mean he has work left to do. His work's finished and that's why he's seated at the right hand of God. That means the church has a work to do. To come to the realization. The understanding of who we are in Christ. And to put the devil under our feet. Now, positionally, it's already been done. But practically... We've got some work left to do. But thank God we're on the way. But there's a secret to making that happen. You know what it is? Speak the word. Speak the word. Speak the word. Amen. Let's all stand. I feel like in some ways I'm going over the same things again and again and again. But maybe that's good. Maybe we need to keep going over it until we finally get it. Amen. Lift your hand toward heaven and say this after me. I have been delivered. delivered From the power of darkness. darkness And placed into. into The kingdom of God. God. In that kingdom. kingdom, It is the will of God. God. For everything that's in heaven. heaven. To be a reality reality for me now. Here in the earth. Healing, healing, prosperity, prosperity. Freedom, freedom, every aspect, every aspect of, heaven of heaven is available to me now. To me now. And I declare, I declare by, the by the word of God that it is so. It is so. Thank, you, Father, Thank you, Father, for making it so. For for making it so. In, Jesus in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, the Lord is good. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Come on back and be with us tonight if you can.